Welcome, everyone. You are listening to the LifePoint Christian Church Podcast. Let's get started. All right, we're going to get ready to study God's Word. If you're ready to study God's Word, say, I'm ready. All right, good, good, good. Online, say it as well. Maybe even type it in and say, I'm ready. All right, we're ready to roll. Here's something I know that we all have in common. We're curious at, at, the, at, you know, at the least, but, but for some of us, even obsessed with the future. What does the future hold for me, for my family, for our country? You know, artists, they, they, they've written hundreds and hundreds of songs that are all about the future. In ancient times, people would look to the skies to see signs of what would come in the future. And even today, people use horoscopes. Why do they do that? Because they want to know or they think they can, by doing that, they're going to find out what's next for them. During the last week of December, every year, what happens with the news stories? They're almost always about predicting the future, about predicting the upcoming year for our country, for people, for industries, and, and for the stock market. And so for the next 90 days or so, you have pundits and prognosticators who will be predicting who's going to win the midterm elections. And as Christians, we will often study the book in the Bible called Revelation. And we'll write books about it. We'll write stories about it. We'll produce movies about it. Because there's just this curious desire to know about the future of humanity. So what's next? What's next? Does anything that's happening right now today in our country, in our world, does any of that have anything to do with what some people call the end times? Or does it, is it a part of what some people call last days scenarios? Jesus said we are in the last days. But are you and I in the last of the last days? These are some questions that we're going to consider as we dive into this new series where we're going to be looking through the book of Revelation. Now, the book of Revelation, it's an incredible book. In fact, no other book in the Bible reveals more of the glory of God or more of the splendor and majesty of Jesus Christ than this book. And some of you may not even be aware of that because some of you have never actually chosen to read it. But before we dive in, what I want to do is set the stage with some expectations and also some qualifiers to hopefully get us all on the same page. So even though we're going to be looking through the book of Revelation this fall, it would take a lot longer to do a more in-depth, deeper study. Now, we're going to certainly dig in together, but here's what I'm hoping and praying. I'm hoping that you will take the time to do your own further study. That what takes place here, what you're here and you're participating on Sundays, but then throughout the week that you would choose to dig in deeper yourself. That you would choose to, to, to dive in and, and study it more because here's what I can guarantee you. If you will dig deeper on this topic, you will find that you're going to go deeper into the scriptures than perhaps you ever have. And your relationship with God will grow and your faith will be strengthened more than ever before. So I just want to encourage you to, along with Sunday's sermons, that you would choose to dig in and dive in deeper with your own further personal study. Now, a couple, couple, couple thoughts here. First of all, uh, there's not universal agreement among Christians as to how the end times play out. 
And in, and, nor is there universal agreement about the interpretation of the book of Revelation, which if you think about it, is really true of any book of the Bible, right? I mean, you, you have division of people with difference of opinions of how things play out in the Bible, and so much so, I mean, that's one of the reasons you have denominations, right? People are like, no, you're wrong, no, you're wrong, and no, this is really what Scripture says. In fact, as I did my own study uh, this summer, I read two books that were entitled Four Views on Revelation. I'm like, oh man, good grief. And even within those viewpoints, there's multiple nuances and subgroups of understanding the book of Revelation. Now, I got to tell you, I I used to spend a a lot of time in my younger days studying and teaching uh, the book of Revelation, or at least studying in uh, end times. And I actually thought that before I went into this series, I thought, you know, I'm imagining my understanding of of Revelation and the last days, I kind of assumed it had modified over the years. I was just in that kind of church where we always talked about, always studied, and I was like, well, okay, maybe maybe we just go overboard a little bit, and maybe it's not really what's in the scripture. And and so I just kind of, as I got ready to study this again, I thought, I've probably changed. But here's what's interesting. The more I studied the other viewpoints it turned out that I pretty much landed back where I started. And so what we're going to be doing together is we're going to be looking through the book of Revelation through what some would refer to as the eclectic approach. It's like the combo approach, if you will. Because again, there's four basic viewpoints of Revelation. There's the, the idealist viewpoint, there's the preterist viewpoint, the, uh, there's the futurist um, viewpoint, and there's the historical viewpoint. But the dig- deeper you dig, I think you would discover, like I have, that the eclectic approach, I guess it sounds like a weird word, but the combo approach, if you will, actually makes the most sense, scripturally speaking. What am I talking about? Well, basically, as you look at Revelation, there's certainly part of Revelation that was historical. It related and was very relevant to the original readers that they were dealing, and it talks about events that were surrounding the times in which they lived. There is some of Revelation that clearly deals with the future. And then there's some of Revelation that deals with John's day, the writer of the the book, that deals with his day, but then that actually has a dual fulfillment in in the end times or in the last days. And then some of Revelation, just it provides timeless principles for any era and any age. So the book of Revelation, it's written by John, one of the apostles of Jesus. He's now in his uh, uh, 90s, probably mid-90s. He's uh, been isolated and sent to this small little island that's six miles by ten miles in, in size, about 35 miles off the coast of Turkey, and it's called Patmos. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to set the stage really for our series by looking at uh, Revelation chapter 1. So I'd encourage you, if you have a physical Bible, turn there now, Revelation 1. If you have your phone, go to the YouVersion Bible app, and uh, we'll be in Revelation chapter 1. I don't typically read long passages of Scripture, um, kind of more highlight, but I want to read through this together because it, it's just uh, it'll set the stage and tone for us. So Revelation chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 1, and it says this. This is a revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the events that must soon take place. He sent an angel to present this revelation to his servant, John, who faithfully reported everything he saw. 
This is his report of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. God blesses the one who reads the words of this prophecy to the church, and he blesses all who listen to its message and obey what it says, for the time is near. This letter is from John to the seven churches in the province of Asia. Grace and peace to the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come. From the sevenfold spirit before his throne and from Jesus Christ. He's the faithful witness to these things. The first to rise from the dead and the ruler of all the kings of the world. And so all glory to him who loves us and has been freed from our sins by shedding his blood for us. He has made us a kingdom of priests for God his Father. All glory and power to him forever and ever. And everybody said, Amen. Look, he comes with the clouds of heaven, and everyone will see him, even those who've pierced him. And all the nations of the world will mourn for him. Yes, amen. And then he said, I'm the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord God. I'm the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come, the Almighty One. A lot in that passage. We'll try to just look at some of it. First, we see that the book of Revelation predicts the future. Look back at verse 3. It says that God blesses those who read the words of this what? The words of this? Of this prophecy. Notice this book, this letter. It's called prophecy. In fact, it's called that five times throughout the book. In other words, it's not allegory. It's not fantasy. It's not fiction. It's not poetry. It's not just a historical document. This book predicts the future. It's prophetic. There's other books, there's other epistles in the New Testament that they certainly contain prophecy, but this book identifies itself as prophecy. By the way, what's the purpose of prophecy? Why does it even exist? Well, one of the reasons, 1 Corinthians chapter 14 tells us, it says, the one who prophesies, notice, what does it do? It, it strengthens others, it encourages them, and it comforts them. How does that happen? Well, it happens two ways, by pre preaching and prediction. That's what prophecy is. It's foretelling, preaching, and it's prediction. And it's foretelling, which is prediction. And we're going to see this foretelling as we look at, uh, uh, through the Revelation, we're going to look at something called the seven-year tribulation period. We're going to look at the final world war in the Middle East. We're going to look at the arrival of a mysterious figure typically called the Antichrist, though he's known by a couple dozen different titles in Scripture. This book's going to talk about the second coming of Christ, the millennial kingdom, and finally, the eternal state. Now, there might be some of us here, uh, we hear this and we say, well, Pastor, I, I don't want to get wrapped up looking at prophecy, looking at the future. I have enough going in my life today just to try to figure out today. Why would I bother with that? Well, here's what you need to know. 26% of the Bible is prophetic. So if you were to say, I, I, I don't want to pay attention to this or focus on this, you're choosing to ignore a quarter of the Bible. Prophecy is all throughout the scriptures. Think about it this way, and maybe this might help you. Prophecy, or the prophetic word to us, is actually one of the incredible, amazing attributes of God. Think about that. God's omniscient. Which means what? It means he knows everything. He knows the past, the present, and he knows the future because God's not bound by time. He's not bound by time like you and I are. So whenever you and I read prophecy, 
since I trust God and I trust His Word, I hope you do as well, I get to trust what He tells me. And so if a quarter of the Bible is prophecy, God clearly wants me and you to know something. And so I want to lean into that. I want to press into that. This attribute of God being part of His attributes are prophecy. I think about Isaiah chapter 41. And God in this passage, He compares Himself to the false and fake gods that were around the the Israelites. And He's talking to, to the Israelites and He says this. He's talking to them He says, hey, let them, referring to these false, fake gods, he says, let them try to tell us what happened long ago so that we may consider the evidence. Or let them tell us what the future holds so we can know what's going to happen. Yes, tell us what will occur in the days ahead because then we'll know that you're actually gods. In fact, God said to these fake, false gods, he said, in fact, just do anything, good or bad. Just do something, something that will amaze us, something that will frighten us. You see, God in this passage is like, listen, if you're deity, like I am, then you will be able to know and predict the future like I can. And of course, they couldn't because they were fake. They were false. They weren't real. You and I, we follow a God of prophecy, a God whom we can trust knows the end from the beginning, that God calls it before it happens. You know what that lets you and I know? You and I follow and serve a God who is in complete control. He knows everything. He's in control. He is God. Revelation chapter 19 tells us for this. Testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Jot this down. I don't think it's in your notes there. 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 19, it says this. We also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable. Everybody say Reliable. And you will do well to pay attention. Nudge somebody next to you and look at them and say, pay attention. No, do it. You got to do it right now. You got to do it. Look at someone. Tell them to pay attention. Pay it. You will do well to pay attention to it. Why? It's a light shining in a dark place. That's what it does. It's reliable. Pay attention because it shines light in the darkness. And God's going to shine that light, and he's going to reveal events to us through signs, symbols, and pictures. And so we're going to read about things like lampstands and trumpets and bowls and beasts. Numbers are going to be used a lot through Revelation. The number seven is going to be used 54 times, which is the most prominent number. We'll see things like seven churches, seven seals, seven trumpets, seven bowls, seven stars, and even seven thunders. Let's look at verse 1. It tells us that these events must soon take place. Well, Pastor, that sounds like maybe this was relevant to the first century, like this is just a historical document because it's been 2,000 years, so uh, that doesn't sound very soon to me. Well, that's a good insight, so let's see what soon take place really means. Soon take place is the Greek word tachos or tachios, from which you and I get our word tachometer. What's a tachometer? What does it do? A tachometer, it measures velocity. And so what John is saying to us, what God is saying to us is once these events start, and specifically you get to Revelation chapter 6 through 19, once they get started, they're going to happen quickly, rapidly. And we're going to see once these events get rolling, that in these last seven years, the whole system of man and of Satan 
are going to be deluged with this horrific wrath of God that's going to sweep the entire earth. And so we're going to read about things like the emergence of the Antichrist, followed by the tribulation, the abomination that causes desolation, the the great tribulation, Armageddon, the return of Jesus, all terms maybe you've heard from, if you've read the Bible, or terms you've heard about in movies that are, those terms, those words are just out there and you have an awareness of them. Jesus was talking about those events that will happen in a quick uh, order, quick succession. He talked about those in Matthew chapter 24. Of those seven years, he said this, when that comes, there will be great distress unequaled from the beginning of the world until now and never to be equaled again. If those days had not been cut short, no one would survive. So, Revelation predicts the future, including the last of the last days. But there's another feature of this book. Revelation promises you and I a blessing. Notice Revelation chapter 1, verse 3. Notice what it says. It says, God blesses the one who avoids... Is that what it says? It says, God blesses the one who reads the words of this prophecy to the church, and he blesses all who listens to its message and obey what it says, for the time is near. This is the only book of the Bible that that promises such a unique uh, promise, if you will, a blessing to those who read it, hear it, and obey it. We're given that promise right here in chapter 1. We're also giving it, given it at the end of Revelation in chapter 22, verse 7. Now that word, he blesses us or blessed us, is the Greek word makarios. And, and it literally means that you're in the fortunate position to receive favor from God. To have God's grace poured out upon you. A lot of times we translate this word blessed as happy. Even think about the Beatitudes, if you know the Beatitudes where it says blessed are or or happy are. But what does that mean? What does blessed mean? What does happy are? It means you're happy or you're blessed to receive God's favor upon you. And that happens if you read this book we read here. Listen, if you avoid this book, you're just robbing yourself of a blessing from God. Why would any of us want to rob ourselves of that blessing? There's only one who doesn't want you to read this book. Who's that? It's Satan. It's the enemy. It's the evil one. Think about it. He doesn't want you to read a book about his demise and about the glory and the greatness of God and God's victory. He doesn't want you to read about the glory, majesty, and splendor of Jesus Christ. It's no wonder he works so hard to keep people away from reading this. And so whatever excuse or thought that you've come up with to not read or get into Revelation, you just need to know that's from the enemy. That's from the enemy. He doesn't want you to receive a blessing. He doesn't want you to receive the favor of God upon your life. And one of the tactics of the enemy that he's probably used on some of us, uh, maybe you're this person, he said, oh, the book's too complicated. Oh, it's too cryptic. It's, it's too mysterious. Don't bother. Don't waste your time. But look at the fourth word of verse 1. What does it say? This is a revelation. Everybody say revelation. Revelation. This, this, he's right. This is a revelation. What does revelation mean? It literally means to unveil something, 
to uncover it, to reveal it. The devil doesn't want you to understand, but God is making it clear. God says, I want you to understand this book. And don't miss it. The blessing comes to those who read it, but then also obey what it says. James chapter 1 tells us, don't merely listen to God's word and and deceive yourselves. He says, do what it says. So the real joy, the real blessing comes to us when we decide to, to, to read it, obey it, to keep it. How do we keep it? Well, first, for starters, of course, we accept it as God's truth. Second, we look forward to what it's foretelling, which means that impacts how you and I live today. That we live today in light of eternity, in light of what this book says. We live today in light of what's to come, which means we live as if, as if this world is not our home right? We've talked about that before, that we are citizens of heaven first and foremost, that you would choose each and every day to live for Jesus Christ, that you would say to God every day, yes, Lord, yes to your will, yes to your way in my life. And when you and I do that, this book says we'll be blessed. The favor of God will be upon our life. So Revelation predicts the future. It promises a blessing, but there's a third aspect of the book of Revelation. It describes a person. Of all the things that Revelation does, probably the most important is it highlights a particular individual. And sure, it'll mention the Antichrist, but this book isn't about him. This book is about Jesus Christ. Verse 1, go back to it. This is the revelation of or from Jesus Christ. Now, that word revelation is used 18 times in the New Testament, and any time it's used in the New Testament to show a person or a point to a person, it always means to make that person known, to unveil that person, to make them visible, to make them clearly seen. You see, revelation reveals to you and I, not just the human Jesus that we know in the Gospels, but the risen, glorified Jesus, that he's the person at center stage of this book. You know, that makes me, that reminds me of the company Apple. And what does Apple do every uh, September and every spring? They have these events they call special events. And what do they do at these events? They have these events for one reason. What is it? To reveal their new products. To pull the veil off what they've been working on and, and reveal to you and I the, the new Apple Watch or the, the new MacBook or the new AirPods or the new iPhone, right? It reveals something, whatever's on tap for that year. Think of the book of Revelation just like that, that God's pulling off the veil and show, showing us a person. And he's not showing us Jesus, you know, 1.0, you know, Jesus, human Jesus from the gospel. He's revealing to us, he's unveiling to us Jesus 2.0, right? The glory and the majesty of all that he is. And we see that revealing of this person, Jesus, throughout Revelation. Chapters 1 through 3, it shows us Jesus holding the lampstand and overseeing the church as Jesus is revealed in those passages as the priestly king. In chapters 4 through 5, we're going to get a glimpse into heaven, and Jesus will be revealed as the glorified Lamb of God. In chapters 6 through 18, Jesus is going to be revealed as the judge of all the earth. That's the part that a lot of times people really focus in on, but there's more to that, to it, than than those chapters. 
In chapter 19, we see Jesus returning from heaven to earth as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. In chapter 20, we see Jesus returning as the bridegroom and coming to earth and being with his bride, the church. And in chapters 21 through 22, Jesus is described in all of his glory, illuminating heaven because of his glory. So put yourself in John's place. He's now in his 90s. It's been 60 years since he's seen Jesus in the flesh. And he knew Jesus as human Jesus. The Jesus who got, you know, tired who got weary, the Jesus who cried, who got hungry and thirsty, who was beaten and crucified. But now, he's getting a new glimpse into Jesus. Let's check it out. John chapter 1, starting in verse 10, it says this. It says, it was the Lord's day, and I was worshiping in the Spirit. Suddenly, I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet blast, and it said, write in a book everything you see. Everybody say, see. That's important. He's writing what he sees. We're not getting explanations or explanations for it. We're just, he's just going to see what's displayed in front of him. When I turned to see who was speaking to me, I saw seven golden lampstands. And standing in the middle of the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man. He was wearing a long robe with a gold sash across his chest. His head and his hair were white like wool and as white as snow. And his eyes were like flames of fire. His feet were like polished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice thundered like mighty ocean waves. He held seven stars in his right hand, and a sharp two-edged sword came from his mouth. And his face was like the sun in all of its brilliance. Jesus sees what Jesus looks like in his second coming blazing glory. We see God described very similarly to this passage in Daniel chapter 7 and in Daniel chapter 10. We see God say of himself in Isaiah, God says of himself, I'm the beginning and the end, I'm the first and then the last, and there's nobody beside me. And now here in Revelation chapter 1 verse 17, we have Jesus saying, I'm the first and I'm the last. I'm the living one. I died, but look, I'm alive forevermore. What are we discovering? What are we learning? One of the unmistakable features of the book of Revelation is that it affirms the deity of Jesus Christ, that Jesus and God, the Father, share the same characteristics. And you see that in this description, which you see these in the Old Testament as well. And so, for example, it says that his eyes were like flames of fire. In other words, his penetrating gaze sees everyone and everything. He sees you and me. He knows everything. Reminds me of Hebrews chapter 4, which says, Nothing in all of creation is hidden from God. Everything's naked and exposed before his eyes, and he's the one to whom we are accountable. His penetrating gaze also actually relates to his feet. Notice verse 15. It says his feet are like polished bronze. Now, by the way, there's 404 verses in the book of Revelation. Of those 404 verses, 278 of those point back to the Old Testament in their symbolism. And so you want to interpret Revelation, you go to Old Testament. You don't just make stuff up and just, oh, this will be good for a book or a movie. No, no, no. You go to Scriptures. Let Scripture interpret Scripture. And when you go back into the Old Testament, you discover that brass and bronze and fire 
what were they involved in? Well, they were symbols of judgment. You might remember from our series, if you were here when we did the series on the, temple, or, or the tabernacle, the bronze, brazen, brass altar in the courtyard of the tabernacle and then the temple later. And on it, a fire was built, sacrifices were consumed. That was the place where sin was judged and dealt with. And so you have these pictures, these symbols of Jesus. And he has feet, he has eyes of flames of fire, and he has feet like polished bronze. It's symbols of judgment. Revelation, it predicts the future. It promises us a blessing. And it portrays a person, not the humble Jesus who came to earth 2,000 years ago that John would have remembered. But we're seeing the exalted, glorified Jesus in all of his glory, judgment included. But finally, Revelation, it demands, it calls for, it requires a response. John chapter 1, verse 17, it says this, When I saw him, I fell at his feet as if I were dead. But he laid his right hand on me and said, Don't be afraid. I'm the first, the last. I'm the living one. I died, but look, I'm alive and forever and ever. John hasn't seen Jesus in 60 years, so you would have expected that in this moment, like, they would have put his arms around him and hugged him. Oh, Jesus, it's so good to see you. I haven't seen you in 60 years. How have you been? But no, John's terrified. Just like when Isaiah saw God, when Jesus, Isaiah both, when they see God in all of his glory, it was so overwhelming that he fell down to the ground. When you and I see Jesus, and my hope is that you will get a picture of Jesus each and every day, that you will pursue God each day. And you, can, you don't just have to, have to wait for a vision. You could see him each and every day. When you see Jesus in his glory, the most appropriate response humility and worship. It's the most appropriate response for us. And so that's what happened to John. And so he goes down, which is interesting. It reminds me back of the story in Matthew chapter 17 when Peter, James, and John were with Jesus. And Jesus was transfigured before them. And you, some of you might know that story. And they were transfigured. And so you had a moment where they saw the glory of Jesus in all of his glory. And in that moment, that passage says they fell down to the ground, face to the ground. Before we go any further in this study in the book of Revelation, God is inviting you to start it all off and get a grander vision of Jesus. That you and I in humility would lay down our life before him. We would fall before him and we would worship him. We're going to discover in Revelation that, that humanity in the last of the last days, they're going to refuse to worship Jesus. They're going to shake their fist at him even though the judgments of God are pouring out on them. But what about you? God invites you to see all that Jesus is. Not just the little baby born in a manger. Not just human Jesus. Which, by the way, the, the, the TV series The Chosen does an amazing job portraying the human Jesus. If you haven't seen it or watched it yet, man, you really need to press into that and watch that. And besides, we have a couple famous actors in our church who are a part of it. Gary and Lonnie Gutierrez went to it, so if you want their autograph, they'll give you their autograph. They're in one little scene, so you won't see them. But anyway, God invites you to get a bigger vision of Jesus. Not just human Jesus. Not just suffering Savior on a cross. 
but of the one who was and is and is to come. The one who will come in glory to judge the living and the dead. He is the King of kings and he is the Lord of lords. Let's get a bigger, grander vision of the glory of God. We hope you enjoyed today's message. You can learn more about us by visiting us online at lifepoint.org. If you are ever in the Sacramento area, we would love to see you in person. Events and service times can be found on our website. Thank you for listening, and we hope you join us for our next episode.